Good morning, everybody. I want to apologize for last week and the teachers and all. I asked him to make me look good, not bad. They did a wonderful job, didn't they? they we're going to talk about purgatory today. For those of you who are here, <laughs> I'm going to give Alex a hard time about that for a while. This morning, we're going to be in a 1 Kings chapter 12 and 13, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, a couple announcements. Today at 6, we're having our worship night. Our team and the bridge and their team uh, will be at the bridge uh, doing a worship night, so join us for that. It starts at 6. Uh, women's luncheon coming up. Um, I don't have the specific date for that, but it's coming, I think, first week in April is what it is, first uh, Saturday in April. Garage sale is the first uh, Friday and Saturday of May. So that's coming up. So we do the donations. You can bring your stuff by. Not yet. It's too soon. We have a place to store it all. But as we get closer to that date, um, you can bring it on by. We'll get it all set up and then the proceeds go to Mission of Joy Orphanage. And then Breaking Chains, May 22nd here at Calvary Chapel. I don't, is that a meeting or is that a, there's an event. Okay. I just learned that now as I read it to you. So that's coming up. All right. The revolt against Rehoboam. Rehoboam is the replacement or the successor of Solomon as he went over his death last week. Um, Rehoboam is his son. He had many, many sons, many, many kids, uh, too many. He multiplied wives to himself. Um, he multiplied horses to himself. He multiplied riches to himself. And in the end, um, it all comes back to bite you. And so those were the things specifically uh, said in Deuteronomy that the kings were not supposed to do. Um, but they did it, and he did it, and um, it cost him. Um, there's nothing wrong with any of those three things necessarily, except multiplying wives. Definitely don't want to steer clear of that. But um, there's a reason for it. Multiplying wives, uh, let's, let's change that a little bit to multiplying those relationships God wants us to have him be our pre, the, the primary relationship that's the most concerning to us. Um, and the more we add to those, the less we focus on the one that's primary. Kings or horses has to do with the military. We rely less on God's strength and more on our own and our own abilities. And of course, riches the same. And so the whole idea is to get people to focus on him and to worry. It's, it's never a, I've set you up now, run with it, son. You know, as far as you can go with what I've given you. It's always meant to be a continual relationship with God throughout our entire walk. We don't just get saved and then he kicks us out on our own and, and says, you know, figure it out. It's always meant to be a walk with him. A daily um, conversation with our father. Here we see in these next two chapters, different ages, I think, is what I focused most on, what I noticed most. most. Um, Rehoboam is going to get some advice from older guys, and he's going to get some advice from younger guys. In chapter 13, we've got a prophet that's going to, a young guy who's going to hear advice from an older guy. And it's just interesting as we go through this that it doesn't matter whether you're old or whether you're young, you need to do what God tells you to do. That's the key. That's the key to being right. Age doesn't automatically make you right. It doesn't give you wisdom at all. Don't make any, uh, don't make a mistake in thinking just because they're older, they're wiser. There's a lot of old fools that just are. 
Likewise, just because they're younger doesn't mean that they knew, know the next move or the, the best way or the newest way to do things. There's a lot, of, a lot of young fools too. But those that are old or young that are following after the Lord, they've got wisdom for you, either age, in either category. In verse 1 of chapter 12, and Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. So it happened when Jeroboam, don't get these two mixed up, Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, heard it. He was still in Egypt, for he had fled from the presence of King Solomon and had been dwelling in Egypt. So he's in exile. That they sent and called him. Then Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam. Rehoboam's the son, Jeroboam's an advisor, basically. And this is what they said to him. Rehoboam, the the future king. Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke, uh, which he put on us, and we will serve you. So he said to them, depart for three days, then come back to me, and the people departed. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived. And he said, how do you advise me to answer these people? And they spoke to him saying, if you will be a servant to these people today and serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. So the same advice, it's confirmed. The people said, boy, you know what your dad did was rough. It's a high taxes and a, a burden to be in this kingdom. It's not like it used to be. It's not a joy anymore. We're struggling out here. Help us. Just relieve us of this burden. Um. Okay, let me ask my dad's advisors. And dad's advisor says they're exactly right. If you govern with their best interests at heart, things are going to go well. If you govern with your best interests at heart, they won't go well. That's always the case, no matter what kind of authority you have. If you're always serving those around you, whether you're the lowest employee at a restaurant or the highest office official in the United States, If you serve the people and take care of those around you without any concern for yourself, things go well. That's just wisdom from God. He's always called. This is New Testament stuff. That he wants to be the greatest in the kingdom of God shall be a servant of all. There's nothing new here. It's always been the same advice from God. Because God's always been the same. He never changes. He's always been our servant. He's always taking care of us. I chose you not because you were great or mighty or because you're an amazing people, you know, or many. I chose you because I wanted to set my love upon you. And the same things happen for us. He serves us. And he just wants us to follow in his example. He's not trying to belittle us. He's not, there's no strange ulterior motive with God. There is with other gods. There are with these other tiny little gods, these little idols that we have in our lives or that these guys will have in their lives. They're going to cause them, the people, to serve them, to do sacrifices to them that are burdensome, not just a little bit of bread or a little bit of meal or maybe a goat or a lamb or something small from your plenty, but many, many more things. In fact, at one point, children are involved to serve these gods. Sacrifice your children to me. These are little gods that demand um, an ego boost. And it's supposed to show their importance. God, on the other hand, our Father shows us, no, you're the important one. I made all this for you. I was fine, God might say. Didn't, but might. 
He doesn't need us. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit were perfect from the beginning. They never needed any of this. Can you imagine whipping up this kind of headache in your life? I was fine. And then I made people because I loved them and because that's who I am. And uh, then they hate me. And they do things they're not supposed to do. And forever he's trying to, throughout Scripture, tell us, I'm always giving you what's best for you. I'm always telling you what's best. I'm telling you how this whole thing works. I designed it. I made it. You want your best life? Follow this path. You want to get out of the trouble that you found yourself in? Receive my forgiveness and accept my mercy. You know. And so these guys' advice is wise. They've been around a while. And that doesn't mean it's always wise, but this is wise because it's just like God. Just serve the people. But, of course, he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him. And he said to them, what advice do you give? How should we answer these people who have spoken to me, saying, lighten the yoke which your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him, saying, thus you should speak to these people who have spoken to you, saying, your father made it a yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, my little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now whereas uh, my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. It's just going to get worse. I don't know what these young guys were thinking, except they might not be able to stand before him anymore. Maybe their pay was going to go down. I don't know what they were thinking. But they thought it better that the guy that they were serving hammer him. Hammer him harder. Keep him down. Keep him lower. The ironic thing with this is this is the split of the kingdom of Israel. This is the beginning. I mean, it's always kind of been there. There's undertones of rebellion, and we don't really like this anyway. So they've been waiting for it. This is going to be the match that lights the kindling here. And in the process of saying, I'm going to whip him harder to receive more for myself, he's going to lose eight-tenths. I know that's not the right, but since there's ten tribes, well, there's twelve tribes, ten-twelfths they're going to lose, okay? Ten-twelfths of all that income is going to go away, all because they followed this advice. So you want to talk about three steps backwards. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king directed, saying, come back to me the third day. Then the king answered the people roughly and rejected the advice which the elders had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips. I will chastise you with scourges. So the king did not listen to the people uh, for the turn of events was from the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord had spoken by Ahijah, the Shilonite, um, to Jeroboam, the son of Nabat. Now, when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Now see to your own house, O David. So Israel departed to their tents, but Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. That one part there, it was the turn of events was from the Lord. It's interesting how God's sovereignty works among we, his free moral agents. 
We have choice, absolutely. But God behind the scenes, knowing all things, can still work it out for his pleasure, for his purposes. We see a beautiful blend there. Maybe not being able to reconcile it completely, but there they, you have both. Absolute choice and absolute sovereignty. Now, that can't be in our minds, but according to God's word, it is. In order to be one or the other, to hold fast to one side or the other of these extreme views, you have to reject the other half. And I just choose to believe both. God is completely sovereign, and yet we are free moral agents, and we see that here, I believe. And their choice is, well, we're not going to serve you. We're going to do our own thing. Well, the people are in a tough spot. I understand that. As I read this, what do you do? We can't afford you anymore. Um, So they pick a plan B, which is worse, actually. And I find that to be true in my life. I don't know if that's been true in your life or not, but sometimes I'll find myself in a tough spot that, boy, I just really don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. And there's a path of least resistance over here. And it's not exactly correct, but boy, it's a lot better option than over here. And I'll choose that path and it ends up being a disaster. It would have been better for me to go through the hardship on my current path than to avoid that difficulty. I don't know how many times I did deliveries. I used to work for Pella Windows and had to do deliveries in the springtime for construction, dropping off a truckload of windows and um, there's ways to do that, you know, getting those big four panel doors, glass sliding doors off the truck by yourself and all. And, and you're driving this truck that's just not designed for these back roads because every construction site just, it's never paved till you're done because they don't want it dirty. And so it's spring and you're figuring out, I don't know how many times I saw that road, you come to the top of the hill and you look down at the bottom of the hill and you're like, I'm not making it through that mess. You know, that's just nothing down there. And the house is right there. And your way around it is this way, this way, this way, this way, and this way. And then you don't even know if the other way is going to be any better, but you're pretty sure you're going to call a tow truck if you go down this road. And even though there's tracks from that morning, and you can tell, many times I went around the other way and just found out I had to go back the other way. Just a ridiculous amount of energy spent on just just go. You know, if you get stuck, call your boss and tell him, I guess I'm down for three hours. You know, it's not my fault. You sent me out here. But me being such a good employee, you know, I tried to find a way to get it there, and it took more time. They, what took you so long? Well, there was this mud puddle, you know, and they, <laughs> whatever. That's a terrible example of what we're talking about here, but that's all I could come up with on this morning. Just go through it, and they're not going to go through it. They're going to pick a different way, and it's going to be it's going to be their downfall. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was in charge of the revenue. <laughs> How's this going to affect us losing 10 tribes? <laughs> it's not going to be good, buddy. Your revenue is going to drop sharply. But all Israel stoned him with stones and he died. Hey, Adoram, go check out. Oh, you know. Therefore, King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been uh, in rebellion against the house of David to this day. And God sees it as rebellion. Now it came to pass, when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had come back, they sent for him and called him uh, to the congregation and made him king over all Israel. There was none who followed the house of David but the tribe of Judah only. And when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin, 
180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against the house of Israel, that he might restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of God came to Shimei, the man of God, saying, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Let every man return to his house, for this thing is for me. Therefore they obeyed the word of the Lord and turned back according to the word of the Lord. Let it go. This is going to work out. I'm going to work it out, God says. Now that goes against everything, you know, if you were spiritually walking through this situation, if you're actually on site, that's what you do. We don't want to break up. We don't want to break up. This is rebellion. We got to squash this. We got to get this back. You don't really need to pray about it. We need to stay together as a nation. God's told us not. But then to have God step in and say, ho, 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 ho. Let the division take place. There's some things I got to work out. I mean, he doesn't say all that, but he will. There's some things we need to do here. Things are going to, hearts are being exposed. It's okay. I remember John Corson teaching this one time. It was early on in my ministry. And I'm, you know, in, in ministry, you have a lot of fires that pop up. Hey, so-and-so said this about me or said this about me and this and this and that and that. And there's a lot of just people being people. That's just it, you know. And everybody's got their gowns wide open in the back in this spiritual hospital we live in, but they don't see it. They only, only the people around them can see that, you know. And so he kind of wonders, a pastor, what do you do? How do you step in? When do you stop this? When do you do that? And John Corson said, you know what? When I see a fire, I let it burn. Because the only thing that's going to burn is chaff. Always going to work out for good. It just burns away all the stuff that's already been there. You know, the forest fires that we see and all these things. Those forest fires are so horrible. It's 18 inches, they say, of needles. I mean, tremendous amount of mismanagement at times because we put it out so many times and stopped it from happening so many times. Instead of four inches in needles, you got 18 inches and it's a tremendous heat, tremendous fire. And so it's better to have those little ones. Just kind of burn through and take care of, as opposed to this. Uh, not that's not always the case, but in some cases. And so I identified that with Corson's uh, advice: just let it burn. It's okay. People are going to get smoothed off. There might be some humility that takes place. Some things that could not be brought about in that person any other way, but through this conflict. Not always the case. Some people get upset and leave before the lesson's over with, before the fire burns away. What needs to be burned away. There's nothing you can do about that. But you can see what God's doing here in this situation. This has been burning for a long time. This has been needles building up for years and years and years in the nation of Israel. They've wanted to. This is just a match that starts it. So God says, let it go. Let this thing burn. Because by the time we're done with this, I'm going to have a much more humble, workable, usable people in my name. And I pray that for myself. I don't want to avoid so much conflict because that's what we do, right? Avoid as much conflict as possible in this life. <laughs> Let me find the path of least resistance. I don't, I don't want that. I don't need that in my life, you know, we say. Get me out of this, Lord. I want, well, that's my prayer, Lord. Pray for me. Help me to get out of this over here. I don't want to go through it. All these things are designed. These fiery trials are meant to refine us and to make us better. Just when you thought you'd reached that plateau, just when you thought you'd attained, even though the Bible and Paul says, I have not attained, none of us are near him, but just when we think we've got this down, 
Marriage is super solid. Kids are where they're supposed to be. Things are moving along. Ministry's trucking like it needs to be. All of a sudden, some fires come up, and my prayer is, oh, God, you know, it's going to destroy all that we built up to to this point. No, no, no. It's just next phase. There's some things in you that haven't happened yet, things that need to get worked out. And guys, I hate to break the bad news to you, but after this fire's out and you recover and there's some green grass, there's another one coming. We keep doing this until the day we die. It doesn't ever stop. There's never a point where there isn't a trial or tribulation. He'll give you breaks. He never gives us more than we can bear. He promises us that. And he will carry us through that provided we're with him. And we stay with him. But when you step out of this fire and you start to recover a little bit, I don't mean that we need to be waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know, that's a horrible way to exist. But when it happens, thank him for it for the first time. Get to that place when that first news hits you that you don't go, oh, panic. And you just say, oh, God, thank you. I don't know what you're going to do, but you've always been faithful in the past. This is going to be good. I'm ready for whatever you have for me. Help me through this, you know. However you have to pray, God's going to work this out for good. It's going to be a little bit of a road. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there. Also, he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom may return to the house of David. Here's how that's what his worry. That's my concern. They're going to go back to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Did you hear what he said? If those guys go to church and they start worshiping the true and living God, regardless of the situation they find themselves in, they may return. What a horrible thing that would be. You know, he says, because I want my people. So here's what he's willing to do to keep them. Therefore, the king asked advice and someone told him, make, uh, he made two calves of gold and said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. I'm sorry, but can you imagine showing up with two calves? I mean, your whole life you've been taught about Moses. You've, your whole life you've been taught. He went up on the mountains and got the Ten Commandments. He came down and there was a golden calf. And your next ruler comes out with two. I, we made these. Did you throw gold earrings into the fire and those just popped out? You know? Somehow or another, generations later, they just got to the place where, well, yeah, golden calves. I mean, that's what everybody else worships. It's pretty normal. I mean, aren't all gods the same? We just worship them in different ways. I mean, their God is my God and their God is my. It's like people reaching out for an elephant who are blind and they just feel the leg and the other person's feeling the trunk and the other person's feeling the ear, but they're all feeling the same animal, right? That's the thing for today, coexist. You know, All religions reaching out to the same God. No, no, God is not a golden calf. He's not. And they should know that. But it's easier generations later to just accept it. And he set one up on Bethel and the other in Dan. Now this thing became a sin. For the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. He made shrines on the high places and made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. I mean, what difference does it make? Anybody can be a priest. 
Jeroboam ordained a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah. So there's a carbon copy or a, a cheap feast in imitation to and offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And in Bethel, uh, he installed the priests in the high places which he had made. So he made offerings on the altar which he had made uh, at Bethel on the 15th day of the eighth month, in the month which he had devised it in his own heart. And he ordained a feast for the children of Israel and offered sacrifices on the altar and burned incense. So he has instituted a new religion, but this is the same, just doing it differently, just worshiping God in our own way up here. Don't need to go down to Jerusalem, stay up here and worship the calves. Got priests right here, don't need to get those priests. Doesn't God's word say, we don't worry about that anymore. It's about the experience more than anything. Chapter 13. And behold, a man of God, no name, just a guy. But he was known for what? He's a man of God. Behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall split apart, and the ashes on it shall be poured out. That's the sign. You don't have to believe me. I'm going to show you why you're going to believe me because this altar is going to be split and all these ashes are going to pour out just so you know that I'm speaking on thus says the Lord. Trust me. Well, don't trust me. Trust the sign. So it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God who cried out against the altar in Bethel that he stretched out his hand from the altar saying, arrest him. Then his hand, which he stretched out towards him, withered so that he could not pull it back to himself. The altar also was split apart, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Then the king answered and said to the man of God, Please entreat the favor of the Lord your God, and pray for me that my hand may be restored. That was a quick turnaround. Some amazing stuff. God is already offering repentance right here. Repentance is offered. He grants it. He's granting it right here. Already, just starting, this new religion, just starting, says, you know what? You need to stop this right now. Now, unfortunately, the way the prophecy reads, he's telling us that it's going to be 325 years before this little boy, Josiah, is born. So God knows, even now, during this prophecy, telling them the truth, that in 325 years, a boy named Josiah is going to be born and he's going to offer up all you guys, which means he's telling him this is going to continue for 325 more years. God is outside of time. He's watching all this. He steps into our moments and he shares with us, this is what's going to happen because of what you've done. And there's no way to shut him up. Arrest him. How many times? That was the big thing. Which one of the prophets didn't you kill? 
the religious rulers of the day were challenged. Which one of the prophets did you not kill? Can you name any? No, we killed them all. But then we figured out we were wrong. We built statues about them and said they were great men. Does that help? No, just stop killing the prophets of God. Arrest him. God says, no, I don't think so, and withers his hand. It's amazing how people hate God until they need him. The world hates God until they need him. They hate God until something bad that can't be explained or that would put responsibility on themselves, and then they call it an act of God. I thought you said he didn't exist. I thought you couldn't acknowledge him. I thought we can't talk about him. We can't read about his word. We can't pray about him. But when bad things happen, it's his fault. Whose fault? Because if it's not his fault, then it's my fault. Because if I am the master of my own domain, my own ship, the captain of my own ship, then it's on me. Everything's on me. And personal responsibility is a scary thing. So it's on God. So this withered hand thing comes, changes his mind really quick. Oh boy. But it doesn't change his mind. Because look what happens. So the man of God entreated the Lord and the king's hand was restored to him and became as before. Then the king said to the man of God, come home with me and refresh yourself and I will give you a reward. Thank you for healing my hand. Let me pay for that. Did you even hear, dude? Are you even paying attention? Probably a good idea to stop this whole thing. Now let me pay for this. Appreciate you doing that. Here's a slip him a hundred, you know, palm a hundred to him. Here's a hundred bucks. Come on with me. But the man of God said to the king, if you were to give me half your house, I would not go in with you, nor would I eat bread, nor drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, you shall not eat bread, nor drink water, nor return by the same way you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way uh, that he came uh, to Bethel. No, no, no. A part of this is I'm not supposed to stay here at all. I'm not supposed to eat or drink. You're so rigid, dude. In your ministry, you're so rigid. I mean, can't you see? I mean, let's just talk about this. Can't we? Absolutely not. No, with the same surety that I knew or have in my heart that God told me to share that with you. I mean, picture the scene. The king of 10 of the tribes is offering up incense. And here comes this man of God probably still dressed in some kind of, you know, shred of garments or whatever, just walks up there and says, thus says the Lord, in the middle of this ceremony, making a big stink and hoon, rest him, his hand shrivels, and I mean, the whole thing. He says, once you stop me, he says, I can't. God said so. I don't care how much money, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to obey the Lord. I don't care what you offer me. I'm going to obey the Lord because the same God that told me to do that and then, and then snap that, remember your hand whole thing, is the same one that told me to go away. I'm building on this because there will be many people in our lives that want to be and are striving to be your advisors, your counselors, your helpers. God will bring to you counselors, advisors, and helpers in your life that you can trust because they don't demand obedience from you. They just offer it, and there it is, and you can go get it. You choose who those people are. Be very wary of the people that step into your life and say, God has told me to tell you. Mm. I mean, I was just praying. Why didn't God talk to me then? Um, okay, you can share it, but I don't know that I'm going to buy it because if it contradicts what God's told me to do, or if it goes against Scripture, 
or if it's weird, I'm going to wait for confirmation from God. I mean, you may have something for me very well too, and share it if you want to. But I am under no obligation. You are under no obligation to receive it at all. Just because they say, thus says the Lord. That doesn't mean anything. Anybody can say that and do, and they will. Thus says the Lord, you should do this. No. And people are offended at that. And if they're offended, they're not from God. If they're offended that you didn't take their advice or their wisdom or their whatever, they're not from God. Because a humble man of God or a humble woman of God simply gives out what God has given them. And if it's not received, they don't take it personally. It's the Lord. But if they take it personally, it came from them. It's theirs. It's a good test. No, I'm not going to do it. Here's the problem. This young guy doesn't have a lot of confidence when it comes to other men of God. Verse 11, now an old prophet dwelt in Bethel. He's in this area, right? And his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, which way did he go? For his sons had seen which way the man of God went who came from Judah. And he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he rode on it, and went after the man of God, and found him sitting under an oak. Then he said to him, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. And he said to him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I cannot return with you, nor go in, uh, go in with you. Neither can I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place, for I have been told by the word of the Lord, you shall not eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by going the way you came. I mean, he's just, he's like a robot. And I, some people are like, is that all you got? When we first came here, we were living in Tarkio, deciding on where God wanted us to be and, and the Bible study in Tarkio or Bible study over in Miraville, who wants a Sunday morning in that valley. And someone emailed me, a woman, um, and uh, back on our old, I remember the old computer. It makes no difference to the story. It was one of those apples. It was one big unit, you know, the monitor. And I get this email that says, I just want to know what your, what your heart on the matter is. What, what do you think about this doctrine or that doctrine? And I said, well, and I sent them to a link, calvarychapel.com and so on. And the response was, I don't want to hear party lines. I don't want to hear your party line. I want to know your heart. And my wife is looking over my shoulder while reading this. And she says, I want to know the woman who wants to know my husband's heart. And I looked at her and I said, oh, you know, some discernment there. And I said, no, I joined Calvary Chapel because Calvary Chapel agrees with me, not the other way around. I didn't have to change any views. That's why we mash. That's why we mash up together so well is because, ah, there's a church that teaches what I see and what I'm reading. This is great. It's not the other way around. This guy's got it down. God's word says this. It's what I'm doing. Oh, come on now. I mean, there's got to be some room for movement there. Nope. Well, he should have stuck to the word. And he said to him, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord saying, bring him back with you to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. He was lying to him. Well, God told me to tell you. So we went back with him. That's the saddest line there. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. 
you almost feel for the guy. He's like, he's an older prophet. He's been around longer than I have. You know, I'm kind of a new guy. Maybe I am too rigid. I don't know what was going on in his mind, but for some reason it clicked with him. And I'm an old prophet. And the angel spoke to me and told me to tell you to, but what did it do? It contradicted what this prophet knew. It changed it. Now, when did God stop speaking to me? When did he lose my phone number? Why, why did I get that from him? I mean, if he wanted to change plans, he knows I've been praying the whole time. Why didn't he step in and tell me while I'm on my donkey? Hey, it's okay. There's an old guy who's going to come up to you. He's going to ask you to eat his house. This is an exception. Go ahead and eat with him. Why didn't that happen? So we went back with him. Now it happened as they sat. This is the strangest section. Now it happened as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back, the old guy. Interesting. Now why is that interesting? Why do I make a big deal out of it? Because God wasn't using this guy, didn't call on this guy to go talk to the king, used this younger guy who was ready and willing and able to go do exactly what God told him to do. So this old guy gets jealous, doesn't get to, I want to meet this young guy that did all these amazing things in my territory. Gets him to disobey God's word and come back to him and say, yeah, yeah, young, you're excited, you're excited. You need to just tone it down a little bit. Come on back with me. Let's, let's go to the ministerial alliance meeting. We're all going to skip together. Sorry. We're going to all sit together here and talk about what we normally do around here in this area. Hmm. And he does. And God says, you know what? You're going to listen to him? Fine. I won't talk to you directly anymore. I'll talk through him. Because I want to get through to you. So here's what's going to happen. Now it happened as they sat at the table and the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back and he cried out to the man of God, cried out, yelling at the table, who came to Judah saying, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but you came back and ate bread and drank water in the place which the Lord said to you, eat no bread, drink no water. Your corpse shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. And so it was. After he had eaten bread and after he had drank or drunk, that he saddled the donkey for, for him, the prophet whom he had brought back. When he was gone, the lion met him on the road and killed him, and his corpse was thrown on the road, and the donkey stood by it, and the lion also stood by the corpse. And there men passed by and saw the corpse thrown on the road and the lion standing by the corpse. Then they went and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. Now, when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard it, he said, it is the man of God who was disobedient to the word of the Lord. I don't know how he says that with a straight face, but he did. Oh, that kid, he was disobedient to God. Yeah. And you were a big help in the whole situation either. Therefore, the Lord has delivered him to the lion which has torn him and killed him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to him. And he spoke to his sons saying, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled it. Then he went and found his corpse thrown on the road and the donkey and the lion standing by the corpse. The lion had not eaten the corpse nor torn the donkey. And the prophet took up the corpse of the man of God, laid it on the donkey and brought it back. So the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. Then he laid the corpse in his own tomb, and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. So it was after he had buried him that he spoke to his son, saying, When I am dead, then bury me in the tomb where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying which he cried out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against 
all the shrines on the high places which are in the cities of uh, Samaria will surely come to pass. After this event, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but again he made priests from every class of people for, high, for the high places. Whoever wished, he consecrated him, and he became one of the priests of the high places. Anybody want to be a priest? I do, I do. Got it, man. Anybody else? Yes, you over there. I see you with your hand up from Shelby County over there. You're in. You got it, buddy. Doesn't make any difference. There's no criteria. Doesn't even have to be ordained by God. Just yep, 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 yep. Sure, why not? I mean, what harm could it do? And this thing was the sin of the house of Jeroboam, so as to uh, exterminate and to destroy it from the face of the earth. Sad, sad. This old prophet, this old prophet knew better. But he's not so concerned with the fact that he had done something wrong. It seems like he's more happy about the fact that God's using him again. God just spoke through me. Yeah, to tell this guy that you were a, a liar. Yeah, but he still spoke through me. You know, I'm still the man of God I used to be. I don't know what happened to him. I don't know where he got to the place where he couldn't be used of God anymore. Must have been pride is all I can think of. But the focus obviously is on, in both these chapters is um, following the Lord following his word, and it is black and white, and, and you can't go wrong. You're going to stand before God. I'm going to stand before God one day, and he's going to ask you what you did with the ministry that he called you to, whatever that was, whatever that is. I don't know what your ministries are. And I want to stand before God and say, I did exactly what you told me to do. Ah, you know, and if he wants to correct me and show me my mistakes and all the areas where I should have gone left instead of right or all that, that's fine. And I'm going to tell him, I'm sorry I missed all those things, but I, I was, uh, you know my heart. I just wanted to do what you wanted me to do. And I, and I may have been too conservative in that area. I may have been, but whatever, we're going to work it out then. But I'm not going to stand before him and say, well, I know what you told me to do, but I saw a better route. And, I, and, and it just looked like, and, and that's why it was so great. It was so, it's not what I asked you to do. I want to show up and I want him to look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant, and mean it. Not because that's what he says to every single person that comes to the door, but because I did what he called me to do with my family, with my marriage, with my kids, with my work, with my ministry here at Calvary Chapel, with anything he calls me to do. I mean, tunnel vision, absolute tunnel vision. Because there's a bunch of people snapping their fingers and flashing lights over here, over here, over here. This is what we did at our old church. Over here, over here, over here. I'm sure you did. And that church is still operating. And if that's what you want to do, you should absolutely go there and do that. But I've got this tunnel vision here. This is what we're going to do. This is what I'm going to do, regardless of anybody shows up. Ah, it's so rigid. Yes. Yes. It is. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. Thank you for your encouragement. We thank you for having a conversation with us, to have that opportunity to pray to you and for you to speak back to us. You will lead and guide us if, you, if we let you. You will keep us on the path that you have for us, maybe going through struggles, maybe going through difficulties, but it doesn't matter as long as you're with us. That's what it's all about if I go through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't fear any evil because you're with me. And if that's the path you have for me or for anybody in this room, that's the path we want to take, God. We want to wholeheartedly 
give our lives to you this morning and do exactly what you tell us to do in your word, to raise our kids the way your word tells us to raise your, our kids, to have a marriage that's biblically prescribed and we follow it to the letter, to the full prescription. We don't halfway go through the bottle. We do it all. We're going to be that tunnel-minded, just focused on you, Lord. That's our heart. And if we've gotten off, Lord, in any of those areas, Lord, bring us back or we choose to come back. We hear you this morning. We hear you calling us back to that straight shot. Those original instructions, God. We want to come back to that place today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.